All right, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity we have to gather here and study your word together. I pray this study would be useful to us. I pray we would glean something from your word. I pray that our discussion would be on track and on point and um, just edifying to each other. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have a handout, um, Brad is passing those out. Raise your hand if you don't have one of those yet. Um, we'll be working through this. As we get started, um, I like to have lots of feedback when I'm teaching a Bible study type class. And so let's get some feedback. Tonight's lesson is on prayer and prayer making a difference. So let's talk about what are some common misconceptions of prayer, maybe that you've had in your past or that you know of with people you've interacted with. Um, what are some common misconceptions of prayer or how do people think wrongly about prayer? Yeah, that's good. Charlie? What's that? When you don't want to work. <laughs> I do not think that is. Yeah, what you do when you don't want to work. Yeah, that's one. Anything else? What are some common misconceptions about prayer? Let's ask this. What does the word pray mean? To ask, yeah, it's really simple. Um, prayer has, pray has kind of become one of those churchy words that we throw out a lot, or different churches will throw out a lot, and we don't actually talk about what it means. And um, I remember visiting a Catholic church once, and um, they started to say their prayers, and it was completely foreign to me. It was my first time being in a setting like that. And they just would say someone's name, and they would say, Oh, Father, we pray. And it's like, pray for what? <laughs> They'd say, you know, for the president, oh, Father, we pray. For the pope, oh, Father, we pray. And that was the extent of the prayer for that person. It's like, that's not praying. That's not asking. What are you asking for? Um, and so tonight we're going to look at a passage in Acts that is really the church, the early church asking for a big thing. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second. Before we get into that, um, kind of our anchor verse for the study tonight is Hebrews 11:6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So are you diligently seeking God? What is your prayer life like? I confess, my prayer life has struggled in the past. There's been times where it's just, I'm busy, I feel like there's a lot going on, and I'll pray briefly in the morning, but then not really think about it much throughout the rest of the day. Um, and I think it's easy of all the spiritual disciplines, I think the easiest one perhaps for me to, ne to neglect is prayer, and maybe you feel the same way. And it's good for me to reorient myself to what God's word says about prayer. And I think we kind of get caught up in a feeling of prayer or a certain atmosphere of prayer when the Bible is clear that praying is just asking. And so we're going to look at this passage tonight, uh, Acts chapter 12 tonight, if you turn there. Acts chapter 12. And we will start by reading verses 1 through 5. Can someone volunteer to read those for me? stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church and he killed James the brother of, the, of John with the sword and because he saw it it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to take Peter also then there were the days of unleavened bread and when he had apprehended him he put him in prison and delivered him to four quartines of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. people Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but pray, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Thank you. So your first blank there is the reason for their prayers. Point one there, the reason for their prayers. So prayer ought to come naturally to us. It should be something that's just part of our day-to-day -day life. Um, some people have said that prayer should be like breathing to us. We should every, every, all the time be thinking about, what can I talk to God about? What can I carry to God? But oftentimes, we've, I've seen in my life, it takes a crisis to bring me back to praying. And we see here in the early church, a crisis here is bringing them to a point of earnest prayer. The crisis, obviously, was Peter is in prison. And so the church now has a reason to pray. And sometimes that's what it takes in our life, isn't it? It takes a crisis or a reason to pray to actually bring us back to prayer. Can someone read Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, and then someone else find Psalm 86, verse 7? Psalm 50, 15, and then Psalm 86, 7. 
yep. and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And then Psalm 86, 7. In the day of, of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. So we see here that David had this pattern. He would pray in times of crisis. If we, I love looking at the life of David and studying his life. And we see over and over again, he would come to a crisis point and he would pray. There's nothing wrong with praying in a crisis. But we also know from other passages that he spent a life just in prayer. And frequently he would just talk to God as his father. Um, Andrew Murray said this. He said, the place and power of prayer in the Christian life is too little understood. When we learn to regard it as the highest part of the work entrusted to us, the root and strength of all other work, we will see that there is nothing we need to study and practice more than the art of praying. I, I know I don't think of prayer as something that's worthy of studying. You know, we think of studying our Bible, um, but we usually don't think of studying to pray. But I think it's good for us to take a look at our life and say, okay, what are some things in my life that I need to do, be to do better about talking to God uh, or that, about caring to God? Uh, what are some other ways that we could study prayer? How do we make prayer something we study? Give God wisdom and guidance with the prayers to open your eyes and your heart. That's good. Better to other people, not just think about yourselves. Yeah, I think oftentimes we carry ourselves throughout the day just kind of relying on our own wisdom. And James is clear that if we lack wisdom, ask of God. And all of us lack wisdom in a day-to-day basis. Um, so it's good for us to study how we can ask God for wisdom throughout the day. What are some other ways maybe that we could uh, study prayer? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Jesus taught us how to pray. He did a whole class on prayer. Yes. Oh, I was thinking along that lines, and also in the book of Psalms, too, a lot of those are prayers. Mm -hmm. And that is part of my emotions. Yeah, that's good. I was just reading last night uh, Psalm 67. Let me actually turn there real quick. And it's a prayer. It says, God be merciful unto us and, shine, and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health upon all nations. And I was reading that verse, or those two verses, and thinking about, okay, how do I pray? Oftentimes when I pray, I'm asking for God's blessing. And we see here that the nation of Israel, in this instance, was asking God to be merciful and to bless them. But why? Verse 2, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health upon, among all nations. And it was instructive to me to think, okay, am I asking God for his blessings just so I can have a nicer house, um, time for more vacation, you know, all these different things. Am I asking God just for blessings for what I can consume? Or am I asking God to bless me so that the nation can know who he is? And it, it, it instructed me on how to pray because it's easy for me to pray for the things I need because I know I need them. But it taught me I need to be thinking about the bigger purpose of what God's trying to do here. So study to pray by looking at the Psalms is an excellent thing. So we need to learn to study to pray. Um, going back to our passage here in Acts chapter 12, point A here is the growth of Herod's persecution. The growth of Herod's persecution. So Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was an insecure ruler, and he was appointed by Rome, and like most of his family, he was unpopular with Jewish people. So if you look at church history, you'll see he actually would use the Christians as a pawn to try to gain the favor of Jews. He saw the Jewish people did not like Christianity, and so he thought, well, here's a way I can get favor with the Jewish people that I'm supposed to be ruling. I'll kill some more Christians. And so he would often kill Christians just to gain favor with the Jews. And that's kind of the, the context that we step into here in Acts chapter 12. It says there in verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So he'd been doing this for a while. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. So we see here that he had a pattern here, and it was growing. He was finding more and more favor as he killed more and more Christians. Um, and so he's, he's taking things to a point where you know, it's out of control. People are dying all, all over the place. Many Christians are dying. And so think about this church. They hear that Peter has been cast into prison. What's the logical conclusion when you hear that Peter's in prison now? He's going to die, right? There's no, there's no other option at this point. Peter, or James, was killed. This is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is James, the son of Zebedee, so the other James. And uh, it was a, a clear pattern. A Christian would be arrested, be in prison for a little bit, they'd have a sham trial, and then kill him, and him or her. And so here, in this case, it's pretty clear to the, to the church that Peter is going to die. Uh, and so the situation feels desperate. I think, you know, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, right? We've, most of us, if not all of us, have read this story before. And so we know, spoiler alert, Peter gets out, right? 
But imagine being that first century church. You don't know this. In fact, all you know is that people go to prison and then they die. And I think it's good for us to kind of draw the parallel to our culture. Aren't there places in our culture where we feel completely powerless? I know I do. Um, I had a situation happen this week where I heard a story of someone that was um, spiritually abusive to somebody else, and it was frustrating to me, and I want to do something about it, but I honestly feel completely powerless about it. And I was talking to a friend, and the friend said, you've got to pray about it. And that feels so impotent, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, I feel like there's more I should do, like I should stage a protest or put stuff on social media to tear down these people that are abusing others. Like there's more that we want to do oftentimes. But I think in these places where we feel so powerless, it's valuable to us because because it should remind us that our first and last recourse should be prayer. Um, We can't make a human difference many times in these circumstances. I know in this circumstance I'm thinking of, there's nothing really that I could do that would make much of a difference. Um, But I can pray. And it seems like such a, well, I guess we'll have to pray. I mean, how often have you heard that said, right? It's kind of, a, kind of a downer. We just have to pray. But that's not the perspective we should have. When we come to these places where um, we feel completely powerless, the answer is a good answer. The answer is to pray. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 is in your handout. Can someone read that verse? People for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God. And then can someone read Hebrews 4.16? Therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that verse. Um, the idea of coming boldly before the throne of God. We know of God as the omnipotent creator. Uh, I think sometimes we think of him as this distant person in the sky. But we are here commanded to come boldly into this throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, I've heard it said before, the only person who is so foolish as to awake a king at night is his child. And that's who we are. We are God's child. And he has asked us to come to him. He's told us, come boldly before the throne of grace. And so these, these places where we feel, power, feel powerless, these places where we feel impotent, this should be a place of encouragement for us. Because we can think, you know what? I have an opportunity now to go boldly before the throne of grace just like God asked me to that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what are some obstacles that we find when we think about going boldly to the throne of grace? What keeps us from going to God this way? Hmm, that's good. What else? We got it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? These are pretty much the big things, right? I know I've found times where, I've had times in my life where each of those um, kept me from God for different, at different seasons. Um, and it's good, I think, to go to God in prayer, not because we feel like it, but because we know we're, we're supposed to. And that's why I think it's important for us to think of prayer as a command. God, as our Father, has come to us and said, would you please come to me with your problems? And oftentimes we say in response, oh, I have something between me and God, I shouldn't go to him. And God says, no, come anyway. Or we think, no, I've got this handled. And God says, no, come to me. Or what was the reason you gave, Charlie, for why we don't go? I believe, yeah, we think, you know, God's not really going to be able to do this. And God says, no, come to me. And I love this passage, um, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, because towards later on in the passage, it's really laughable, right? They're on their knees praying. Let's actually go ahead and read that. Um, let's look at verses 6, uh, 6 through—actually, no, we won't read that yet. I'll just fast forward. Um, so verse 13 and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. It's like they were willing to accept any crazy excuse for why Peter would be knocking at the door, except for the fact that Peter was knocking at the door. And they had just been asking that God would release Peter. And that's encouraging to me because it shows that God does not rely on the quantity of our faith before he starts to work. Um, clearly, at least some of the people there really weren't praying with much faith. If they were praying with faith, they would have been confident that door is going to be knocked on and Peter's going to be here. But they had so little faith that when the the answer actually came, they said, no, there's no way. (laughs) And that's encouraging to me because God is already working in circumstances as soon as I start asking. And I don't have to wait to have enough faith to start asking. I think we, we are kept from praying in unbelief because we think, well, I don't have big enough faith to pray. Um, no, just go to God. He's commanding us here back in Hebrews 4. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace so we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So going back to your handout here, uh, point B is the grief over James' martyrdom. 
grief over James' martyrdom. So James, the son of Zebedee, was the first apostle to be martyred. If you remember, back in Matthew chapter 20, um, Jesus, uh, James' mother requested a special treatment for her two sons, James and John. And Jesus asked of the men, he said, Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they, they answered him, and they said, We are able. And so now here is James. He has been killed. He had the opportunity. He said, I am able to drink the cup. And he ended up having the opportunity to demonstrate his sincerity. No doubt the Christians' hearts were broken over the tragic loss of James. And so then here we see they go to God in prayer. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then Psalm 61, 2, From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I've been there at times where my heart is overwhelmed, where I don't have the words even to express to God how frustrated I am, how much at a loss I feel. And God says, that's the time when we go to him and say, I'm overwhelmed, God. Lead me to a rock higher than I. I love the fact that God knows us so well. He sees our problems. The Bible says he's touched the feelings of our infirmities though we don't even have to have the eloquent words to construct a prayer. We can just go to God and say, God, I'm overwhelmed. Help me. And he hears us, and he's loving, and he's gracious, and he, and he leads us to the rock higher than I. Then uh, point C here is the gravity of Peter's imprisonment. The gravity of Peter's imprisonment. Herod knew that Peter's death would please the Jews, just as James' death had. After all, they commanded Peter to cease preaching the name of Jesus, but with no success. And so now they're in a serious situation. Paul referred to Peter as one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. He had preached on Pentecost and had become a great pastoral leader in the church. How would they go on if they lost two of their leaders in such a short period of time? So the gravity of the situation um, impelled the Christians to pray without ceasing. We must learn from the example of the early church about importunity in prayer. The word importunity just means persistence. Jesus illustrated this for his disciples. In your handout there is Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 9. Can someone read that passage for me? So in the story Jesus tells, the man is not getting up because he's such a good friend, right? He's kind of a bad friend in this moment. Um, but because the man is persistent, he finally gets out of bed, he finally gives him the bread he needs. And God is calling us to have persistence in our prayers. I wonder how many prayers go unanswered because we just give up too soon. Because we don't see God at work, we think there's just no way. There's no way this, this door's going to get open, there's no way the situation's going to change, there's no way this person's going to change, I'm done praying about it. And who knows when God is maybe just in the breakthrough point of wanting to do something big in that person's life. And we walk away from what God wants to do. And so here, Jesus is telling us clearly, keep going in prayer. Keep being persistent. So now point two is God's response to their prayers. God responds to the prayers of his people. Notice the turn of events that began in the conclusion of verse five. It says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. It's a whole string of prepositional phrases there for you grammar nerds. Um, it says, but prayer was made, that's the what, without ceasing, that's how, of the church, that's who, unto God, that's to whom, and then for him, which is the why. And so we see here that they, they were persistent. They, without ceasing, were carrying this need to God in prayer. The people's intercession prompted God's intervention. And then, so now we have Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 10, and I'll go ahead and read that. It says, and when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened out to them of his, own, of his own accord, and they went out, and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So here we see that God responded at the right time. So that's the next blank there. He responded at the right time. 
It says there um, in the beginning of the passage, um, verse 10, I believe it was, sorry, verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. So the same night there is the idea of the night before. So the very next day, Peter was set to go before Herod and face a, a sham trial, a fake trial, and then go to his death, most likely. And so right in the nick of time, um, in response to the prayers of God's people, God works. And so we see here that God responded at the exact right time. It has been estimated that Peter spent approximately a week in prison. Peter was used to being on the move, but this week required him to exercise patience. And then on the very night before Herod planned to take Peter's life, God sent his angel. Many people who God used greatly were required to trust God's timing in their lives. Abraham was required to wait for the promised son. Joseph waited while in prison. David waited after having been anointed king. And Job waited while enduring pain and loss. So what is the value for us in waiting sometimes as we pray? Good. His word tells you, you know, you just come to him, you ask, you wait, trust him. You ain't got faith, hope, and love. Hmm. Yeah, we see God's blessing in that time of waiting. It's good. What else do we see in a season of waiting? Test our own, um, our own faith, and, and um, you know, if we don't get the answer right away, hmm. the question is, are you going to keep believing, keep praying, or are you just going to say, well, it didn't happen, so yeah. I give up? Yeah. At the exact right time, it's you don't just think, well, this this would have happened anyway. Mm. Yeah, you see, you know, God was in that. Yeah. How many times have you seen God work or heard stories of God working in such a way where it was too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence, right? There's no way that that circumstance could have happened right at that moment. Only God could have done that, and it's just it strengthens our faith in a miraculous way. What else do we learn as we wait? I know I've found in times of waiting, oftentimes my motives get purified. Um, I can go into something praying because I really want something. And then I come out of a season of waiting, recognizing that I, what I really needed was God himself. And the value we gain in those prolonged seasons of just talking to God about a situation. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to view him as our father. And he loves us as a child. And he wants those conversations with us. If you're a parent, um, I'm sure you know just the joy of talking to your kids. One of my favorite things to do. I love calling my parents, um, and it's just a relaxing, great conversation. I was home for Christmas, and one of the things I love about being home, someone asked me, what am I, I going to do when I was home? And I said, we'll just have conversations with my family, with my parents. And God wants those conversations with us. And sometimes we're in such a rush that if God answered our prayer right away, we'd be on to the next thing, and we'd be, we'd be self-sufficient. Um, and in those seasons of waiting, we learn how to have conversations with God about our own motives, about what we want, about who he is. And I think that's part of the beauty of seasons of waiting, is we really learn more about who God is and his relationship with us. Any other thoughts about that? All right, Job chapter 23, verse 10, says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So while waiting, remember that God is in control. He is wisely and carefully working all things to accomplish our good and his purposes. Another thing I just thought of is as we wait, sometimes God brings more people on board with the burden. Um, and sometimes if God answered things right away, other people would miss out on that blessing of being part of the prayer burden. Um, and so sometimes God will bring people around you that share your vision, share your heart, and they will get to join with you in the, prayer, in the praying and in the rejoicing when God found the answers. Um, and then Galatians 4.4, 4. can someone read that? The fullness of time was, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son, made, the Lord, made under the law. God's timing is so perfect that he knew the exact time even to send his own Son. The greatest gift he ever gave to the world was given in the perfect time. And so if God could time the coming of his own son so perfectly, why do we doubt that he could time the gifts he gives us just as, just as perfectly? Um, there's no mistake in the timing of when God brings blessings and answers to prayer. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Can someone read that? I think there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. Yeah. Thank you. All right, your next blank there, uh, B, is he responded in the right place. So he, God, responded in the right place. The angel of the Lord had, this is something I hadn't thought about until I was studying this, the angel of the Lord had no problem finding Peter in the prison. 
Um, we feel so anonymous, I think, sometimes in our world. Uh, the world is big and busy and very well connected, and who am I? Like, who, like, nobody really knows who I am, right? But God loves you and sees you so well that he has no problem finding you to meet the answer, to meet, uh, to meet the, the needs that you have. Have you ever wondered if God knows where you are? He does. He knows right where you are and exactly what you're experiencing. So Peter is in prison right now. Later, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 3.12. He says, for the, eye, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I wonder, I don't know, if Peter was thinking back to his days in prison uh, when he wrote that, about how, he knew, how God's eyes were on him, and he knew that God had seen him there in that time of prison. God did not forget his children during their season of difficulty in Egypt. He did not forget the apostle Peter, and he will not forget you. Can someone read Exodus 3, 7? Then I have surely seen the afflictions of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard the cry by reasons of their ta taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then point C is he responded in the right way. So we talked about it a little bit, how God purifies our motives through praying. And I know I've seen in my own life um, where I've asked for something for a long time and God finally gave the answer and it wasn't exactly what I was thinking, right? Um, and God knows the right way to respond to our prayer. Sometimes we don't know how to ask or what to ask, but God is good to give us what we actually need. Uh, Matthew 6, 8 says, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So if our Father knows what we need before we ask him, why does he command us to ask him? God's sovereign, right? He knows everything. He knows what we need. He sees what we need before we even ask. So then why does he want us to talk? Why does he want us to ask him? Yeah. See, if you're speaking the truth, because he knows when you're telling the truth and when you're lying. Yeah. He's giving you the choice to open your eyes and open your heart and yeah. open your mouth. <coughs> ask him when he's mm -hmm. dependent upon him. Yeah. Amen. And recognize that he's I think about, you know, a parent talking to a child, you want your, you know your child needs food, right? But I think, I know my mom always appreciated, whenever we appreciated the food she made for us, right? <laughs> um, we would ask, what's for supper? And we'd say, thank you for making supper. It, it, it's a relationship thing. Mom knew we, we, we needed supper, and she was already making supper, but it just helped her as a person to know that we appreciated what she was giving us. And she liked to hear from our perspective what we like, what we want, what we were looking forward to. Um, and that's how God is as well. He likes to hear from us and know what we want from our own perspective. Um, I think there's so much beauty in how God created us all differently. And we all have slightly different personalities. Um, I don't know if you guys are big into personality tests, but oftentimes they'll try to like, you know, categorize people into the seven different types of personalities or the 16 types of personalities or whatever. There's some value in that, but realistically, we're all slightly different. Um, there's not a single two of us that are the same. And God created that multifaceted beauty of each of us being different. And so he wants to hear your perspective on what you need. And that reflects his own beauty back to him whenever he hears how you see the world around you and how you see your needs and how you see him and how you want him to do things for you. And so God loves you so much, he wants a relationship with you. God doesn't just want a relationship with humanity as a, as a general mass. He wants a relationship with you personally. And that's what's developed as we ask him for things. Even though he already knows what we need, we develop that relationship with him. We develop... Um, a way to glorify him and reflect his beauty back to him as we learn to ask him for what we need. Anything else, any other thoughts about that? Why do we um, need to ask God even though he already knows? All right, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans eight twenty six through 28. It's also in your handout. Does someone want to read those verses? The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, 
for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, which grown is, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who care the call according to his purpose. Thank you. Do you guys have different postures you go to when you pray? I know some people always pray kneeling down. Um, other people I've heard laying down when they pray. Um, some people have to walk. Um, do you guys have any favorite postures for when you're praying? I love to walk and run when I'm praying. Um, I feel like it kind of clears my brain a little bit. Um, just this week, I had some things I was thinking through, uh, questions I had for God, uh, decisions I was trying to, just to figure out, and I had to go run. And so I went for a run, and I'm out of shape, so I ran for like a quarter mile, and then huffed and puffed for a half a mile, and then ran for a quarter mile. Um, but in that time, I just felt God clarifying even what I was asking, and I saw God doing that uh, that we just read. The Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And I love that, how God invites us to come to him, not with a perfectly formulated request in prayer, but knowing that God himself wants to participate with us in the praying process. The Holy Spirit himself is taking these things I'm asking, these stumbling prayers, these stumbling requests, and saying, all right, God, here's, here's how to answer this. Here's how to formulate that prayer. And I can go to God with just confusion and so many different options. I was thinking through these, the different things I was facing and pros of this pros of this, cons of this, cons of this. And it just felt like a jumbled mess in my head. But as I talked to God, I just felt like, okay, here's something clear about this. Here's something clear about this. And just so much clarity came. And it's just miraculous, honestly. And we don't live for those highs, those, those emotional experiences. But I think they're valuable for us because God wants to give us clarity. He loves his children so much, he wants to give us answers. And as I was praying to God for wisdom, he gave me wisdom because that's what he loves to do. It's because it's, it's what he said he would do. And so I brought this decision to God in, from a place of confusion and frustration and just not knowing what to do. And I left that time of running and praying with just so much clarity because God answers prayer and he's good in that way. And it was just a good reminder to me to, to think, you know, why don't I do this more? Why don't I take more time and more of my challenges and more of my frustrations to God and say, okay, God, give me your mind on this. Um, shape my prayers and shape me through my prayer to make me more into your image and to align me with your path for my life. The beautiful thing about God's will is that he has a perfect will for each of us, and he wants us to find it. He's not trying to hide his will from us. And I think oftentimes we kind of stumble in the dark because we just don't think about going to him and asking for wisdom. Um, and I've, I've seen even this just this week in my own life, the beauty of taking a complicated situation to God and saying, God, could you give me wisdom? I don't know what to do here. And God is good to answer that prayer. Um, so then point three here is the results of their prayers. the results of their prayers. As God responds to his people's prayers, let's see how the rest of the story unfolds. And we looked at some of this already, because um, I gave you a spoiler. But Acts chapter 12, verses 11 through 19. It says, And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered praying. I'm just going to pause there for a second. Some of these phrases just crack me up. This is so classic Peter. Um, and when he considered the thing, it's like he was out there wandering the streets, like, hmm, what should I do now? Oh, I should go to where they're praying for me to be released. Um, so he goes to the house of Mary, uh, verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went unto another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there, were, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death, and he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. So in our uh, campus Bible study, one of the questions we often ask as we look at a passage 
is what does this tell us about the characters in this passage? So let's ask that question. Um, well, actually, let's ask the question, what does this tell us about ourselves? We look at a character in the Bible, and we should be asking that question. What does this tell me about my tendencies, how I tend to react? So what do we see about ourselves when we look at the reactions of the people in this passage you just read? Acts 12, 11 through 19. Brian's the guy to differ. Yeah. <laughs> and how often are we the same way? Like, no, there's no way God answered that prayer. There's absolutely no way. Why do you think they were surprised? They believe it was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And then again, aren't we the same way? The only reason we're surprised and God answers is because we didn't actually think it would happen. We're praying because God told us to. We're praying because theoretically God is a prayer answering God, but it's not going to happen in this case. And then God answers. It's like, oh, wait, what? No way. <laughs> yeah, Scott. Isn't it funny, though, that she didn't let him in? It's <laughs> almost like that detail of the story just happened that way. It was recorded for our benefit because yeah. they would have, if she brought him with her, let him in and walked him in, they yeah. would have believed in right. a sense with yeah. their eyes. But right. It's just funny that they, they weren't in a place of being ready to understand the guy yeah. that answered the prayer. <clears throat> That's interesting. That detail reveals, really, their lack of belief, I guess. Criticism. So. I think it's encouraging that, um, I mean, the Lord answers their prayer, even though that they didn't, in a sense, they weren't really believing. Right. And yet, because you come to the Lord sometimes just feeling so weak and inadequate, yeah. and like, who am I to ask for this? Yeah. And yet, he still, he, like, he wants the answer. else not to interpret a passage sometimes like i've heard a lot of preachers say well joseph did this so you need to do this too sure. and if we're going to say well the apostles did this so you need to do this too then that, that yeah. might pose a problem that's true anything else what else do we learn about ourselves from the reactions here there's a, a tendency to to um pray out of despair hmm. instead of like praying on the victory side of things and uh, I think that's somewhat of an example there's nothing else we can do I guess you know we have to, we have to pray that's all we can do right. but then they you know still like we've all been saying they were all surprised yeah. the prayer was answered that's good anything else I think about how it said earlier in the passage that they prayed without ceasing. And I've wondered, like, how many ways can you say, God, would you let Peter get out of prison? Um, and I'm sure you've been in this prayer meetings before. It feels like everyone's just, like, repeating the same thing. And it's just like, are we even making a difference, right? Um, and so I don't know how, like, what words they were actually saying. But I imagine that, you know, we believe he was in prison for a week. And so for a week, they were praying without ceasing for him to be released. And I've been there before where it's like, I feel stuck in saying, God, do this, God, do this, God, do this, over and over and over again. It's like, there's got to be a more creative way to say this. <laughs> um, but God isn't hearing the creativity of our prayers or the novelty of our prayers. Um, he just blesses because he's a good God and he loves us and he's glad to hear our prayers. He's glad to answer our prayers. And so I see that this tendency that I have to feel like, am I just you know, saying the same thing over and over again? I'm not the first person to have that experience. I'm sure they felt the same way. Um, they were praying for a week without ceasing. I'm sure they said the same thing over and over again, and that's okay. God answers prayer. Anything else that we see about ourselves from this passage? A little bit of, like, worrying prayer. <laughs> yeah. You ever, like, you think you're praying, but you're really actually just worrying? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, and then you're like, wait, this isn't faith. Huh. You're just sitting here, like, um, and, like, uh, yeah. I know oftentimes, too, I've prayed, God, would your will be done? Because I'm scared to ask for what I really want, right? Like, if I was in this, such, this, this circumstance, obviously I want Peter to get out of prison, right? But especially in a church setting, I'd be like, oh, I'm kind of afraid to ask that out loud because what if it doesn't happen? What if the faith of someone else is hurt? And like, we think through all these things in our head. Um, but I think this is a good reminder to us just get together and ask for what, for what God what, what God needs to do, um, what you want God to do, and God will answer prayer. And obviously we know from other scriptures that if we ask to consume things on our own lusts, that's not a prayer God will answer. Um, or if we ask selfishly or ask out of line with God's will, 
um, that's not a prayer God will answer. But um, we can come together and pray confidently um, when we're praying in line with God's will, and whenever we're seeking God's will and asking for his will to be done. I think there's some prayers that we know God wants to answer. I think about gospel prayers. God wants everyone to be saved. He says that in his word. And so if I'm praying, God, would you save someone? I can pray with confidence because God wants to answer that prayer. There's never a time where I'm praying for someone to be saved and God's like, sorry, not my will. That's not how God is. He wants that person to be saved so I can pray that confidently. Um, and I can pray that in regards to the gospel going forward. He always wants the gospel to, the gospel to go forward. That's what I love about campus ministry um, is as I think about the need on campus, it is certainly God's will for more of those students to come to Christ. It is certainly God's will for me and others to be proclaiming the gospel on campus. And so I can come to him boldly saying, God, this is your will. You said in your word you want everyone to be saved. And so I'm coming to you now asking over and over and over and over for you to save more souls on campus. And it may take time. The, the fruit may come fast at times. It may come slow at times. But this is a prayer that is in line with God's will. Um, and so we can pray confidently. And um, it seems like um, well, we know God let Peter go, and Peter went on to continue to do great things for the kingdom of God. And so they could pray confidently, saying, God, Peter is serving you. Peter is leading your church here. He's leading us to glorify you. He is a key leader that you've raised up. God, would you let him go? Would you let him go free? And they prayed boldly. They prayed confidently. And we know that they prayed even with a lack of faith sometimes, it appears. Um, yet God still wants to answer that prayer, and God still did answer that prayer. Any other thoughts about that? There's kind of a, a popular fatalist view of uh, praying, and um, there's kind of this the theological gymnastics people play. Like, God is sovereign, and um, God foreordains all things, and so praying is just somehow, like, making us feel what God wants us to feel. Um, and it kind of turns asking to just, like, this passive thing that we're not actually asking. We're just kind of anticipating what he's already going to do. Um, and people play these mental gymnastics to, like, define God's omnipotent sovereignty with our desires and our needs. And I don't think we need to go into the weeds on those things. If God tells us to pray, pray. If God told us to ask him for things, ask him for things. He told us, as we saw in Hebrews, uh, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why would he tell us that if he did not want us to come boldly to the throne of grace? Um, and so we can ask boldly, knowing that God wants to work. Go back to the handout here. Uh, point A, the enemy's plans were thwarted. The enemy's plans were thwarted. Peter was indeed delivered. Another, another phrase I loved in that passage, or maybe it's a previous passage, where it says that he got up and went, and he thought it was a dream. He thought, it was, he, thought he had a vision. Um, and it's like even Peter himself, as God was in the process of delivering him, was like, there's no way this is true. I'm dreaming. Um, and it's just, again, encouraging to me that you don't have to have this perfect faith for God to work. Um, so God delivered Peter from 16 soldiers, two chains, keepers of the prison, an iron gate, and two wards. Our God is truly a miracle-working, prayer-answering prayer answering God. It doesn't matter what a cruel ruler, a nagging neighbor, a temperamental supervisor, or Satan himself determines to do. What does matter for the Christian is what God determines to allow. The psalmist put it in perspective. Psalm 2 verses 2 through 4. Can someone read that? The earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I absolutely love that passage because we are often just shaking in our boots at things that seem out of our control, like we talked about earlier. There's rulers, there's leaders, political leaders, um, social leaders, influential people that do things that are just out of our control, and it's frustrating to us. But I love verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. God laughs at these people that think that they're big stuff. Um, and it gives me so much confidence that that's my God. That's the person I serve. That's the person I'm following. And so he's a good person to serve. He's a good person to follow because no ruler of this world can set himself up against God and be successful. Um, you know, it says there, they say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. David praises the Lord for his ability to deliver him in spite of his enemy's plans. Psalm 18, verse 48. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Then point B is the church's prayers were interrupted. We talked about this a little bit already, but it's, it's almost hard to keep a straight face as you read this passage because just the, the funny things, like Peter's knocking and she doesn't even let him in. She goes back and talks to them. And then they say, no way. It's just, it's just so human. It's so real. I love it. Um, their prayers were literally answered while they were on their knees 
and they couldn't believe it. To them, it was simply good, too good to be true. And we've talked about this already, but this account illustrates that God answers the prayer of, our, of his people even when that faith is small or weak. Remember the burdened father who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Jesus responded by answering that man's prayer on behalf of his son. I love that verse, and there's times where I've prayed that. And I said, God, I can envision something big I want you to do, um, but to be honest, I just really don't, don't really have the faith for it. Um, would you help my unbelief? Would you do this big thing? The Old Testament prophets said to expect these beyond expectation answers from our God. Isaiah 65, 24 says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. That second half of that verse is what happened in Acts 12 here. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God heard their prayer while they were still praying. And they were still praying, and the, the answer had already happened. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Jeremiah 33, 3. Can someone read that? To me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And then Paul told us to expect the same thing. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That verse just blows me away every single time. I can imagine a lot. I can think up some pretty big things I'd like God to do. And it says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's incredible to me. Our God is so big and so powerful that he looks at our loftiest imaginations and says that's small. I can do so much more than that. I can do so much bigger than that. And so again, that should give us so much courage and confidence as we go to God in prayer. And we say, God, I'm asking you something big, and I can imagine bigger things, but you can imagine even bigger things than that. You're such a big God that my biggest request is small to you. It's not that big of a deal. I can pray with that sort of boldness, that sort of confidence. And then C, the ruler's guards were executed. According to the Roman rule of that day, if a prisoner escaped, the guards responsible would suffer the punishment originally attended, intended for the prisoner. That is exactly what happened in verses 18 and 19. Let's see here. It says, now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And you can imagine now, you, you know why there was no small stir. They knew what would happen. Verse 19, and when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And so you see here, these rulers were put to death. And that's uh, cross-reference verse here is Psalm 138, 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. So in conclusion, God wants to work in our lives and on our behalf today. He wants to bless us and use us. He wants to protect and provide for our families. He says to us, I will work, in Isaiah 43, 13. The question lies not in God's willingness to answer, but in our willingness to pray. James 4, 2 reminds us, ye have not because ye ask not. So let's talk about this. How do we then take this lesson and apply it to our lives this week? Let's make this super practical. What are some things we can do this week to make this, um, make this lesson real? Some of those long-term requests become, it's easier for them to become discouraging <laughs> when you come back to them. Like, okay, here I am, God again, praying for this person to be saved. And it hasn't, it wasn't answered last week. What makes you think it will be this week? But God tells us, keep praying, keep asking. And he answers the prayer of the importunate. Persistent. Anything else? What are some ways to apply this this week? One thing I thought about was we talked about some of these obstacles that we face to approaching the throne boldly for grace. And one of them was our own lack of thinking that we need help, our own pride. And so one of my things this week is every morning 
I want to get up and say, okay, God, would you show me the ways even which I need to pray this week or today? Because um, I, I can so easily get busy with the routine of my day and do all the things I'm good at doing. It's my job. I know how to do my job and not actually talk to God about those things. And so I, I want to be this week aware, starting in the morning when I get up, that I need God today. I need his wisdom. I need his provision. I need him to um, give me the skills I need, the, the talents I need to carry out the day. Anybody else? Something this week that's super practical. Three days through the week, keep your faith up to trust because other people through this world that ain't safe, they're looking at you yeah. saying, if you're a Christian, uh, we're looking at you. You're being watched on everything you do. You don't do it because of that. You do it yeah. out of faith and love that you have for the Lord yeah. to be obedient and walk with Him. But you can't do it on your own. You ask him every day for guidance. Yeah. Good. Support what you need to do. Keep you strong. Mm-hmm. To walk with him. Yeah. Not his will. Absolutely. It's so powerful to the unsaved world around us when they see someone who's living life with a different source of power. Um, who's not just going about life reacting in the normal way. Um, and answered prayer not only encourages our faith, but also is a testimony to those around us. Good. Anything else? Practical ways to live this out. All right, in one word, what does importunity mean? Persistent, absolutely. So God wants us to be persistent in how we pray. Hebrews 11, uh, 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I love that verse, and I also love that truth understood in conjunction with Acts 12, that even when our faith feels really, really small and shaky, he still says, come to me, and I love to hear you. I love to talk to my children. Um, and that's the perspective that we should have this week. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the call you've placed on us to just pray, just talk to you, I pray this week that that would be a reality in our lives, that um, we would not view prayer as a stuffy thing or a rote thing or a ritual, but that we would just talk to you as our loving Heavenly Father, and we would know that you want to hear from us and that you delight in providing for the needs of your children and hearing our prayers. Um, Thank you for who you are, and thank you for calling us to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for coming.